I am vengeance. I am the night. I am also a podcast. I am a podcast. 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 Oh! It's a show. It's a show. Audio only, though. What is it about? If you have time, I can tell you that it is a podcast about that many Batman podcasts. Uh, what did you want me to say in this part? It's a show! Yeah. Yeah! <laughs> I am a podcast. Whoa! Hey! with fans and people, people who Hey guys, welcome to Batman the Animated Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Michael, and you are listening to an audio variety show for your ears about the legendary 1990s cartoon, Batman the Animated Series. Now, today is going to be a special episode. We're not talking about a particular episode of Batman the Animated Series. But we are sitting down with one of the most influential voices for the show, uh, Mr. Paul Dini. He's been on the show many times before talking about people like Harley Quinn and Baby Doll and the Joker. Uh, He, as of today, has a book out. It is a graphic novel called Dark Knight. It is an autobiographical tale. It's dark. uh, It's harrowing. It's redemptive. It's brutally honest. And I think it's really important and healing. So... I really wanted to sit down with him and chat about it. There's not going to be much else beyond that, uh, but it's out today, and I really think that it's worth picking up. If you're a fan of Batman the Animated Series, the whole backdrop is when Paul was making the show for this actual story. So there will be tidbits in there for nerds that are just exciting to kind of see behind the scenes and and hear the names that you kind of know affiliated with the cartoon. Uh, There's even a reference to an episode that was never made. I don't want to spoil too much of it. Uh, Paul and I don't spoil the book. We we do give the background of the story as it is very personal in nature, but uh, there's still a lot more in there to read and to dig into. And I just read it this morning. I picked it up and I'm, I'm excited to read it again. It's really beautiful. Eduardo Riso's art is incredible. Uh, Paul really, really created a masterpiece here that is, that is just as good, uh, definitely, if not better, than his other work that's, that's fiction. Uh, so he, he really created something special. I, I don't really have the words for it. I think you should just go out and read it. Uh, but if you want to listen to this first, don't worry, it will not spoil the whole story. So uh, if anything, let it be a reason to inspire you to pick it up on the way back from work today or any day. Okay, so without further ado, here's Paul Dini. sitting with Paul Dean. You can't get rid of me, man. I'm, I, I'm like the bad penny I keep showing As up. As if I'm not begging you to come on oh, the podcast every time. <laughs> there are others who need to be spoken to. So, But you, you're getting them all. I mean, I listened to a, to, to a bunch of them. So you are... You had Alan Burnett and Alan Alan Pershing and uh, Dan Reba, right? Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. 
Dan and I honestly spent a good hour afterwards uh, nerding out just about Batman. (laughs) He's so great. He's such a great guy. I could talk to him for hours. We were going to do a project last year together, but it fell through. It it would have been really cool. He is the nicest. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, today is a special day. Uh, This is the release of your latest project, Mm -hmm. your book, your baby, (laughs) uh, Dark Knight. Yeah. uh, Which is by you and Eduardo Riso. Yep. Uh, I just rushed out, we already talked about this, but I rushed out to pick it up. Uh Uh, If you're listening to this the day that it comes out, it is officially in stores. Uh, I went to my local comic book shop, it was front and center, and I I just read it, and it's really fantastic. Thank you. I love it. Thank you very much. It was was amazing, and I, I think it's like, not only a great story, but a really important one to, to read and to hear for, for anybody, mm-hmm. you know, whether or not they've experienced a severe trauma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I really connected with a lot of it on, on multiple levels. Thank so you. I kind of wanted to just dig into it. But maybe for those of the listeners who haven't heard about it for some reason, no. <laughs> that, that cross-section, uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about it. Well, um, sure. Um, Dark Knight is a is a book that I wrote. It's a... Uh, and that's illustrated quite wonderfully by Eduardo Rizzo, who I, who I just can't stay, say enough about. I mean, I've, I've, I've read the book several times, and I go back and I discover different things that he's done that, that was part of his thought process. So, you know, my, my first thought was I looked at it, and I go, oh, it's real nice. And then I went back and saw all the subtle things he had done with color and, and everything. It's just, it, it, it's an amazing work by him, and I'm so grateful that uh, he, he uh, came on the project. Um, it, he's... I don't know. It, 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 it really it turned it into something in my head. It had gone from disjointed images and, and loose feelings and a quasi-narrative to something that he really, once I saw where he was going with it, it really mas- he masterfully um, you know coalesced the whole thing into, into, in, through his vision. Uh, and it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult story. It was a difficult story to write, and uh, it's a, sort of a difficult story to explain, but I think it reads okay. It's a story about when I... Um, it's a memoir of a time 23 years ago when I was working at Warner Brothers Animation, and we had just released the Batman show. It had been on the air for maybe three or four months. And I was writing the second season, and I was working on a movie with Alan Burnett, Marty Pascoe, and uh, Michael Reeves. We were writing the scripts together. And they um, and I was walking home one night from a date and I got mugged and pretty badly beaten up, very viciously attacked out of nowhere. It was done deliberately. Once my attackers saw me, they they were like plotting about what they were going to do. So they took some delight in it. And uh, it was a surprise to say the least. And it was physically uh, horrific. And when I, when they were done, I was just lying there going like, what the hell? How do I, what do I do? And I forced myself on my feet and I got up and I walked home, started walking home. They, I didn't know that they were actually in their car. Yeah. They spotted me. And then as I was crossing the street, they zoomed forward and gave me one last parting shot. You know, it's like I, I heard the car coming. And then as I jumped away they were like screaming they had been screaming abuse at me while they were beating me up and uh, i'm sorry i don't mean to dwell on this but it's like I, I i kind of i kind of get into it i walked home i um uh i was i was badly beaten beaten up i talked to the police about it and 
saw the doctor the next day, and then I had to undergo the process of getting my face rebuilt because I, I discovered the beating was so severe, and they had, they had kicked me several times in the face as well, that my whole left side of my face and part of my skull had been shattered. So the story deals with, one, the undergoing that process, and two, just finding the impetus to start up my life again after this horrible incident and going to work and facing people and dealing with the shame of, you know, maybe maybe I deserve this or I, I couldn't stop it from happening and feeling worthless, which a lot of people go through when they suffer a trauma of this nature. Yeah, they'll pin it on themselves. and Yeah, and especially as it is a, in my case, it was an extremely lonely incident. Uh, sometimes you'll hear somebody who has unfortunately been attacked or assaulted or raped and and there will be somebody there to either stop it or help them or witness it. In mine, it was just like being struck by lightning. It was like it happened It happened quickly. There was no witness. If somebody saw it, they never said anything. It happened in a residential area, and uh, but there was nothing. It was almost like it just happened suddenly and there was no, there was nothing else to do other than just sort of pull myself back on my feet and go on, make the decision to go on with my life. And as, as I mentioned at the time, I was writing Batman, so whenever I write a character or work on a series, those characters are always first and foremost in my mind. And I found by conjuring up in my imagination images of Batman and the various villains and, and characters of his world, uh, it was both a coping mechanism and both sort of a uh, almost a personal scourging of what I was going through at that time to have these conversations with the characters in my head who were so vivid to me in my work anyway. And um, and that's basically what the story is about. It's a story about, you know, in its heart, it's about a, a, a guy who, as a young man, as a child, grew up pretty lonely and watched probably way too much, much many cartoons, read way too much comics, and then but then found a way to grow up into that and continue kind of an extended childhood into his career. And what happened when that world got shattered and to what degree it came back and to what degree, you know, it continued on. So that's the long-winded story of, yeah. of, of what it is. You can probably edit that down too. Like, I got beat up. No, I, I think it's important to hear the whole thing. I think that's why this this book is important. Um, well, I, I found it's... It's spoken a lot to other people of a similar mindset who who are either fans of things like comics and science fiction and animation or who would become creators of that. I think to a very real degree, we all kind of come from the same place. I, that's absolutely what I experienced when reading it, mm -hmm. um, at least coming from a place of Growing up, loving comics, cartoons, toys, uh, not really letting go of that ever. Yes, <laughs> I'm yeah. here hosting a Batman podcast. Yes, yeah. Um, and and liking to create things myself, mm -hmm. uh, especially early in the book. And I don't really want to spoil too much because there's a lot of really great stuff, and nice. I think people should pick it up and read it. Um, but it's very very early in the book, and it kind of talks about. You kind of introduce yourself as a character. There's a background, autobiographical background as a yeah. child, and mm -hmm. and you you refer to yourself as an invisible yeah. kid. Yeah, uh, and and you talk about, I mean, specifically, 
you know, we, we invisible kids tend to carry our colors on the inside and we let them out kind of when we do things we love and, you know, yeah. acting, writing, you know, whatever, any sort of creative outlet. And that really hit home for me. I know, like, didn't have the same background, uh, mm-hmm. but I know plenty of people who are creative or, mm-hmm. you know, personally, like, that you experience difficult times and, and it funnels out in that way. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and I think it is kind of a universal thing, and I, it kind of struck me that I was like, "Oh man!" Like I, I grew up truthfully on your work. Oh, thanks. Uh, in a in a way that you know it was it had a healing right power uh, and and helped me through tough times. Just as I grew up on uh, the work of Chuck Jones and Bob Clampett, and there's a few very definite nods. Uh, to Bob Clampett throughout the book. One of my favorite sequences, which I don't want to... Yeah. I think that's one of it's one of the best uh, earlier in the book. Oh, thanks. Uh, it's incredible. <laughs> I got to give all props and hosannas to Ruth, Clamp, Ruth and Bobby Clampett because I said, I told them what I wanted to do and they said, oh, that's interesting. Let's think about it. Then, uh, then they kind of talked to them among the family and they said, yeah, sure. You know, and so thank you guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, there are some. There are definitely some cameos. I guess is the yeah, only way yeah. to, to put it. Uh, many characters appear within this the story, but uh, yeah. it's it's fun to see that kind of stuff pop up. And it seems like you got kind of the blessings of a few people to like include their characters. I, I did, uh, and um, I uh, yes, especially characters that'll be near and dear to the Vertigo crowd, and I'm very grateful. Yes. To a to a certain British gentleman for that. So. Well, and it brings the power. I think getting to use those characters only makes it, you know, brings the truth to the forefront. Right? Sure. Like getting to see the image, like these actual characters versus kind of you know the the knockoff versions that you might have to use if right. you weren't allowed to use the copywritten images. Uh, I use a knockoff myself. I, I I created a character that is sort of an amalgam of of two or three different characters, simply because. One, I, 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 I couldn't get the rights to the character that depicted. Also, I kind of enjoyed the idea of creating kind of a new one, however appears, however fleetingly it, it appears in the, in the story. It's uh, the one that your sister brings to yeah. the hospital? Uh-huh, yes. uh-huh. It was, um, yeah, there, at a time uh, I was being courted by several other studios to leave and I was being offered several other... Uh, properties or characters, some of which I was interested in, some not so much. But uh, that sort of symbolizes that because after I had received uh, the uh, treatment around the time on, uh, you know, after you know being mugged and being a being a victim of actual criminals, Batman didn't seem all that that fun for me. You know, yeah. I, I'd, I'd rather go off and uh, and and go and retreat into Toontown and just do something silly. And I don't. I never want to really look at Batman again, and because I don't think I can write stuff like that. And, and it was hard working on Mask of the Phantasm. There's one scene in there where Bruce goes after a few street thugs, and they give him a real savage beatdown. And I knew that was in the outline. And then I and then I get mugged around the same time, and I just, uh, Alan, don't don't make me write that scene. He goes, I, I'm, I'm, uh, another writer's writing it, or I'll, I'll write it myself. You don't have to worry about that. So. Yeah, the context of this kind of the backdrop is when you were kind of working on the animated series and yeah. on Mask of the Phantasm in particular, and the mm-hmm. characters. I mean, are people like Alan Burnett and Eric Radomski? And, sure. You know, they're plenty of the behind the scenes is kind of you know the, yeah. the story of this you know, story. Yeah, I mean they 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 filter in here and there and uh, to add. 
uh, note of authenticity and, and depth. And these were the people I were I, were, I was interacting with at the time. And uh, you know, I, I showed I gave a copy of the book to Tom Ruger last week, and he really he really got a kick out of it. And he's it, it also deals some with some of the times I was working with him on on Tiny Tunes and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So, and uh, but it I think it. It's sort of a good just juxtaposition to which degree, you know, this is what I do during the day and this is how it kind of follows me around and haunts me at night. And, uh, and uh, you know, and it, or at least the way it did at that time. And uh, I had a, I was having lunch with another friend yesterday who read the book and he said, you know, I think that as gruesome as that was, you needed something to kind of shake up your world a little bit, make you look at the world and yourself a little bit differently. And I think that that is something that I think a lot of creative people can relate to because when, you know, we do live in our imaginations, we do, our, our creations tend to become our children or, or, you know, extensions of ourselves. Yeah. And I think I was lucky in the fact that I was able to kind of draw on what I had done well, people would remind me of like, oh, I like that, or you worked on that show I liked, or something, and I began thinking like, yeah, you know, I I got a couple of lucky breaks here, and for me to just walk away from it wouldn't be smart. I mean, it, it would be in, it would be uh, kind of spurning the gifts I, I had received, you know, or the chances I had got. I I I feel like not everybody gets a chance to to create stuff. Yeah. And uh, so I'm one of the lucky ones, and that's something I shouldn't abuse or, or you know, deny or searching for the right word. Or take for granted. Take for granted. Another thing. Yeah, yeah. That's that's it exactly. Or or discard it. And um, and then I began, you know, and this during my my thought process for the book, I you know I, I mentioned that I talked to Kevin Smith about this on on his podcast, and he said that if it had happened to him at a certain point in his life, he never would have left his house, and I couldn't believe that because he's one of the most dynamic personalities I know, and I I feel like you know, you deal with a lot of stuff being a director and much more hassles than I than I would. I I'm sure he could have overcome this, and he said. Uh, if it hit me at the right time in my life, I probably wouldn't have. And so, I think there are a lot of creative people out there who, you know, they they have to. If for whatever reason they've walked away from it, they should go back to what they love. And if uh, an incident has happened that that made them doubt themselves as either a person or a creative person or with a story to tell, then uh, if they read this, maybe they can say, "Oh, well, you know, this this guy did it." Maybe yeah, I, I, I mean, too. I think it's, I don't know, the reason that I, th- I think it works, first of all, is like, it's just, it's very personal, but I think it's, you know, specificity is somehow universal. Mm-hmm. I think uh, just for, for creative people in general, we like, there's that truth of we all doubt ourselves in sure. some capacity, and that's mm-hmm. very present. And I think it's hard to reveal that part of yourself. And, and yeah. I think... I know it's it's you know written all in the book jacket. All the the well deserved accolades are like this is very brave, but it, that's not like a, a a trivial word. I think it is. It's true. I think to like take take a story and shape it into something creative is like taking a, the power from you know what was taken from you. Right. Uh, and I think that's like the power of an incredible story like this is uh, you get to 
turn it into something that you can wield for a force of good. Yep. Uh, I think that that's like th- those are the best things that are made. Uh, Thank you. Um, I, I really, well, when writing about the person I was two decades ago, I I really didn't spare that much uh, good or bad about you know what I was going through at the time or or the person I was in many ways. And uh, somebody I was talking to a reporter several months ago about the book, and he said, "You don't really come off as a very." good person in this and you know and in, in, in some in a lot of this and i said yeah but one thing i'm not that person now or at least i don't think i am you know quite that that way but also you know um if there's got to be any sort of change in this guy's life you know i began thinking of him as this guy he was a yeah. guy i knew way back when he's a an extension of myself who did stupid things and behaved in an overly dramatic way sometimes and was i don't know Sort of vindictive and weird and very self-absorbed and you know it's like okay uh, I'm gonna show what that guy was like and then by no means I don't know if I've how far I've come from that but certainly far enough to realize that I was had I had not changes occurred in my life I would still be that guy and I know too many people in my life who are quote, still that guy, still the guy they were in their 20s or 30s, very much content to live there and very much, con- and, and, and what sadly is maybe now not so content to watch their life go by and sort of wonder like, hey, what happened, you know? Uh, yeah, well, you have a lot in there. I mean, I think it's a very small detail, but you know, the way that family is treated in the beginning yeah. of the book, uh, kind of like relegated to holidays and busy working on work and not sure. seeing family, uh, I don't know, struck a chord for me. I think it's very easy to get consumed by only your the things you create. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yet, when the gun is to my head, literally, or, you know, when it comes down, the only thing I think of is my family. Yeah, of you course. Because go, you go back to that place. You go back to who you, you are in those moments when when you're confronted by fate and uh you realize this is this is it or it could be it and uh um and the rest of the shit doesn't matter so much the comics collectibles and right things are things, things like, at the things end of the things. day yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah how did you since like was it difficult to write it uh you know what to to kind of put yourself back in that headspace i i, I can imagine uh yeah it was um to a degree, I'd slam the door on it a lot. I mean, I think about it. It's like something that happens, you know, that's always like any sort of memory of, of a of a major event in your life. It's always in your head, and it's never too far from the surface. But really getting into it, really looking at old photos and talking to people and reading some old journal entries and spending time really back in that headspace brought it back and um and it was but that said it was still hard and there were incidents that i just i, I would kind of it's like peewee herman you know you run by the snake case and it's like mm-hmm. you run by and you rescue some more dogs and you run by Ugh. but eventually you run out with the snakes in your hand yeah. you know because you got to do it so there were a few in moments like that in the in the book where i felt like i, I don't want to go here and then i ultimately realized 
yeah, you gotta into the dark cave you must go, Luke, and, and confront a few bad things. And and so yeah, I did, you know, and and uh, and it was hard. And I, there would be times like I'd be walking around, I, you know, I wouldn't have handed any any work for about the better part of a month, and I'd be delaying and not wanting to write stuff. And um, and uh, my editor would say, "Where's you know, I don't want you to give up on this." My wife would say, "You know, you spent a lot of time." walking around the house crying late at night. I mean, yeah. out of frustration. I hope you're not planning on abandoning this. And it's like, no, I'm not going to abandon it. I just got to work through it. And so it was it was hard, you know, working through it. So and somebody is going to read this book and go like, well, eh, big deal. Yeah, I could get through something like this. And yeah, sure, they could. But I, it's different for everybody. Everybody undergoes something in their life. Some They have something they'd rather not face or... or or deal with or something that, that grieves them. And, and, and the only person who can measure how great that, that feeling or that pain is, is the person themselves. And hopefully they can express it in some way where somebody, when that story is related to somebody else and go like, Oh yeah, yeah, I've been where you are. I understand what you went through. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the power of, of a writer. Or, sure. You know, yeah. like that. Uh, and also you use what you, already did really well as a tool to tell this story. I mean, we haven't really touched on it that much, but like, you know, the Joker and Batman and many rogues and yeah, you know, sure. other characters kind of like uh, personify different parts of your brain. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Joker feels like a, a force of like distraction and shutting shutting the door sure. in some ways. Uh-huh. Uh, like, you know, just kick back, play video games. Yeah. You deserve that. And which there is some truth to any, any one of them, but yeah. it seems like it's a balance. Yeah. Um, how did you did is that the way you kind of visualized it at the time or is that something that you employed now or is uh it was something that i you know like i said these characters are always whirling around my brain somewhere you know if i'm writing one of them if i'm writing them whatever one happens to be in my head at the time if i'm writing something like you know before before i came over i had harley i'm writing something with harley quinn and it's like i'll be gone too long i gotta wrap this up quick you gotta get, you gotta hand this in. Bored here, you know. It's like, okay, I'll be back to you in a minute. I don't know. Harley plays a really important part in this. Go check your email or something. <laughs> Bother Jimmy and Amanda. I'm busy. I have to go do something else. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, uh, but Harley's not really in it. She is I've, at, at one. At one moment. Yeah. Yeah. But I felt it was uh, important to keep her off screen for most of it. Yeah. Because she, at least at the time, she symbolized happiness, kind of hopefulness, sort of a, a, a feeling of joy because the character was new. Yeah. And uh, a lot of that was just like out of my head. So she's out of the book, and, you know. And, uh, but reappears. So She does. I yeah. feel like... Uh... Yeah, and, that, and I think that's all she had to be in the book. I mean, I, I think people may be surprised that it's not more about her, or that she's not featured in it anymore. But uh, I don't know, maybe to a degree she's sort of there in the background. I think she she's in the background. But Speaking also, through another character. Yeah. I mean, you have... She and, and Arlene seem to both play a very important part. Well, Arlene, yeah, but there's another character that but she's there's, sort yes. of speaking through also. Um... Right. I, yeah, I don't yeah. want to. Yeah. But 
No, Arlene was was a real good friend to me throughout this, and she was, uh, you know, she was a, a very close friend, and I worked a few close friends in, in, at the time, and uh, and uh, so it was interesting, kind of, you know, revisiting that that chapter in my life, and um, and uh, and finally dealing with this and getting it out, getting it out of the way. But like you were saying, yeah, the Joker represents very specific things to me. The Joker is. He is exactly what he is. He's a smiling clown yeah. who means you no good at all. Who is like the welcoming grin who welcomes you in and ultimately to your destruction. And you know, he's... It, it's candy. It's soda pop. It's all right this way. You know, right in here. Come on in, sucker. I mean, pal. You know, that sort of thing. And two faces like the worst fears of like how... In, in this case... How I saw myself. It's like you know, you are just as as false and two faced as as I am, and and now the ugliness is on the outside. And he was a very hard character to write, but he was like one of the most important. He had to be in there, and I and I and I. I there was times I think like I don't want to. Well, I have to use him because he's such a good visual depiction of what I went through, but also his his voice is probably the strongest of the blackest vo- of, 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 of in what I was going through inside. That and Poison Ivy. And Poison Ivy was, you know, another voice, but also came from a darker place. So, ah, God, I'm getting weird metaphysical here. Let's have some... Laughs. Understandably. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean... It's, I don't read the book. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it is really... Yeah, yeah. we don't want to, like, spoil it. Look at the pretty pictures. God. Eduardo's work is so... Yeah, Wonderful. let's talk about his art for a second. He's he, his art is really incredible. I think he covers a variety of styles, in, yeah. like effortlessly. Yeah, uh, and he does some really wonderful things, like uh, and stuff that I'm still discovering. Like there's there are times I'll look at a cartoon, like I'll, I'll look at one of like what's Opera Doc, and I'll always see something new in it. I'll yeah. always notice like that little gesture wasn't there in the last 38 times I saw it. That little. That little wink, that little uh, that little flourish, and reading Eduardo's, you know, looking at the the book here, people are pointing out to me things that I, I just never even read, I just never even noticed the first time. Like, uh, you know, there are scenes where I'm talking to the Joker, and I'm rendered more or less, you know, in very drab colors, and the Joker is very colorful. It looks like he stepped out of a cartoon, or mm-hmm. or he, he looks as as funny and he's candy coated as he's supposed to be, and. Uh, um, it was really, uh, uh, and that, that's that's hitting me in this. And the whole mugging scene is all done in in blue and with uh, you know some very dramatic uh, uses of color through there in a very limited palette. When I looked at the mugging scene the first time, I just I just kind of shrieked and put it aside and went back to it about a week later, and and I couldn't look at it, and uh, just it was like okay, there it is, there it is again. And uh, shot by shot, blow by blow, and somehow in, and I don't recall. I recall calling certain shots, but what I didn't indicate, Eduardo filled in in such a way that it, it had every bit of the emotional impact, and uh, I was looking for in, in that in that scene. And I think, and uh, one of the things that I had done prior to writing the book and all the way through it was every time I saw some of his artwork I'd go through it and pin it up in my writing room 
And I have this big collage that takes over one wall. A lot of it is his work and a lot of the way is the way that he'd structure not only like violence, images of violence, but also characters talking together, bodies lying there, moments that are very quiet, you know, staged characters talking like this, where there's nothing much going on, but the intensity of their faces is just adding so much to the dialogue. It's really brilliant the way. So you he, like let his art influence your writing, kind yes, of. A, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that, it feels like a very singular voice. You know, yeah. there, there's, which which is really amazing because it also is a complex story. It jumps back and forth in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are different versions of you, mm-hmm. uh, and and they each kind of have their own language or visual language mm-hmm. that's employed. That like I think subconsciously, maybe if you're not even paying attention to it, is cueing you in to follow it in a more, I don't know, not not linear, but like it, it makes it easier to digest a, a difficult yeah. story. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, it's like both. I don't. You framed it in such a such a way that it feels very easy to follow, and that's incredible because it's a very difficult thing. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, to it is first person narration throughout the whole thing, but one of the the elements I really wanted to show through the storytelling was the way that you would make a pitch of like a feature film, someplace like DreamWorks or Disney, which right. oddly enough is not the way that we would really pitch out a Batman episode. But I know enough of the other form of pitching that I felt like that was a good way of saying it to the, uh, conveying it to the audience that I'm speaking to. And, um, because when I usually when I write, I write a script and then it goes to the storyboard artist and the storyboard artist and the director will usually break it down together. But this way, you know, I've done plenty of room pitches where you, okay, I've got everybody assembled, so I'm pitting up little things here and there. And I'm a, I'm a suck ass artist and I uh, can't really do that. So that's a big liberty I took with that. I mean, if it's Tom and Jerry or something, yes, I can draw a cat and mouse and I can pin those up and walk you through. And I did that to a degree on Duck Dodgers when I worked with the directors on something like that. So, but uh, it was a narrative device that I think worked well that makes it somewhere between, you know, telling a campfire story, doing a stand-up routine, and and just doing the the, the animation pitch. So Yeah, well, was it yeah. difficult to pare things down? Like, were there any times where you had to, like, consolidate facts, uh, like, or divorce yourself from, like, the truth of it in some ways, like, just for narrative purposes? Yeah, I, at one point I wanted to go back and interview the doctor who did the reconstruction of my face, and... Uh, I found out he had passed away and his partner had taken over his practice. And it started to verge into something like, well, why do you want me to find this information? I mean, if you really, you should have, you know, over the last few years, you should have come in and we should have, you know, checked to see how you're doing. And I'm doing fine as far as I know. Yeah. Uh, you look great. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Well, you know, hopefully the, the, the plate is holding in there. Uh, but it's a, uh, it's a, uh, you know, I, and then I didn't want to necessarily deal with the estate or the partner or anything. Not that it was troublesome or anything. It's just sort of like I, I examined it and I was saying, to what degree do I have to do this? So I did kind of, I, I did combine a few characters and I gave a few people uh, different names, things like that, in throughout the the story. One one person that uh, I was seeing at the time is sadly dead, and uh, um, and a few others. I I kind of combined here and there simply to expedite things and um 
I'd also just make it a, a cohesive thing. I didn't want to go on three dates and do the same thing yeah. because I think one date would have made it, you know, would have gotten the point across. Um, likewise, I, um, one of my very best friends, a, one, a former college roommate of mine who I write with actually is, is not in the book. And, uh, because it, the scene I had with him mirrored, mirrored almost exactly the scene I, I show with a coworker. And, um, I felt like, uh, the scene with the coworker is more powerful the way it is in the book. And if I did it again with my friend, it would be like we saw this scene and it had the same, and the character had the same reaction and offered him the same, you know, basically the same words of comfort. So, uh, is it hard to get rid of that kind of stuff? Because there are certain moments that I imagine are very much like as truthful as possible. Yeah. And like, was it difficult to like figure out? Oh, I I can't have both of these scenes. Yeah, and so I went with a, this the scene that I felt th- I felt was the strongest, and the most impactful, and the first one. You know, because it was it was uh, like a week later. It's, it's, uh, the scene with the coworker happened like a day or two afterwards. The scene with my friend happened. Yeah, much more casual. Like, I think it was like a week after the operation. You know, and, yeah. and so it was like one more thing I was doing and. I mean, the, he was a very good friend to me, and he still is. But I just went with this, the the bit of that that I felt was, you know, that that I, I felt had the most gravitas to it at the time. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it, something like this. You do have to kind of move it along, but it really is a pretty close very truthful amalgam of what my life was like at that time for about a a period of about three months Mm -hmm. and um it was uh you know going out at night drinking a lot and uh i'm not really not much of a drinker and uh every every once in a while but uh i'm not much of a drinker anymore but for for a brief time there it was just like well, the night of the beating, I just sat there with a bottle of rum and just said, well, I'm going to swig down the rum and kind of tough up and be a man about it and and uh, worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. But um, uh, the late nights going out and kind of, you know, going to a friend's bar and just sort of sitting there feeling sorry for myself, you know, I wound up with uh, walking pneumonia. And it's like, okay, realistically, how far do you want to take this? Yeah. You know, do you, you really want this to be that big a part of your life? And, uh, you know, and, and also rum, it started to taste pretty good. And it got to that point where it was like, I'm looking forward to it. And if I'm looking forward to it, then maybe I shouldn't have it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's, I think it's very cool that you were willing to show these sides of yourself. Uh, well, I feel like, uh, in for a penny in for a pound, you know, and, uh, and, um, yeah. Sort of a, a full range of I went through a full range of experiences and yeah and I feel that you know somebody going through some element of that might say you know well it wasn't it wasn't uh, alcohol for me but it was you know, heroin or something yeah I, everybody has their coping mechanisms yeah in, in those dark dark moments yeah but uh, you can connect to the idea of it mm-hmm. I actually thought one of the most interesting parts of the story and it was very small Uh um uh is the way you could there's like kind of a a circumstantial kind of uh, the way you deal with race in it yeah uh which i thought was 
again, like a choice you, you could have kept that out of things, um, but it felt like deliberate and positive to acknowledge that, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, especially there's like a callback kind of a little bit later in the book yes. uh, with a co-worker. Well, that's that's the that's the incident I referred to. Like it was either one or the other. Yeah. So you know, it was it was two people of color who said basically the same thing. Two people who were very close to me. Yeah. And remain very close to me. And I just I went with one over the other simply because that first incident was the more impactful. And uh, so when I when I told my friend Steve, I'm giving you a shout out in the book, but you're not in the story. Yeah. And, and kind of here's why uh, he goes. Oh no, I'm perfectly cool with that. He's a writer too, and he <laughs> says, "Okay, you know, you, you know, you. It's it's up to you to show what what there what there is and what there isn't and stuff like that." So, and, and again, it it came like I want to hit everything that happened, not necessarily dwell on it, not necessarily you know repeat the same beats and and keep things moving along. Maybe that comes from a certain shorthand I've learned in animation where when you adapt a story, you kind of go go to the key moments and you don't want to... You fall in love with something, but then you wind up taking it out because it just doesn't fit anymore. Yeah, so. why did you choose, I guess, graphic novel as a medium? Uh, I felt... What had happened to me was very visceral, very visual, so I wanted to show it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a format I feel comfortable with. It's I don't know if I'll ever actually get around to making a movie. I think that's about as close as I can come to it. And yet, in my mind, it's a really good synthesis of of, of how to tell a, a really good process of how to tell a story. Yeah, because it has a certain length to it. It's one contained story, and. Um, it's enough to let ideas flow and have a, a resolution. And uh, I felt, you know, I, I've never felt that happy with myself as a prose writer. I, I, I like to see it as, as it happens. And so I, I guess I could have written it up as a, as a prose story. But again, you know, I, I wanted them, I wanted people to see, to feel what I felt. And I felt the best way to do that is by pairing with a, a really terrific artist who could. Yeah, how did you guys connect? Uh, how did you choose who would do the art, or was it suggested, or had you worked together? I never worked with with Eduardo before, but I'd certainly been a big a big fan of his artwork. And um, when I met with Shelley Bond, first I met with Danny Dio and Jeff Johns, and they both encouraged me to to pursue this. It was it sounded like an interesting project to to both of them. Then they paired me up with Shelley Bond, an uh, an editor who I love very much, who I've worked with before on on a couple of Vertigo things. She was very enthusiastic about the project. We had a short list of artists that we were, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd talked about this guy, this guy, this guy. And Eduardo was among the names. And after going back and forth, he seemed to be the best choice. And he, the most, you know, in a lot of ways, they were all interesting choices. And I think they all would have done spectacular jobs. But there, Eduardo had a certain passion for it, a certain enthusiasm. And I just said, yeah, yeah, you know, and, you know, if he's the guy did hundred bullets, so, you know, love to, yeah. have, love to have him on board. And um, uh, I didn't want to art direct him too much. And I said, whatever you do, don't take, don't draw these guys like the animated series. I'm not asking you to do an issue of Batman Adventures. Not, not that I don't love that style, but 
it has to be a contrast. The animated series has to exist as the animated series mm-hmm. in order for this to do this and don't in order for this to to be a, a visual work on its own. And there's no particular version of Batman or Poison Ivy or the Joker that I want you to use other than whatever image of them comes to you in your head as you're reading this. So the Poison Ivy he renders in here is not necessarily the Poison Ivy that he would draw in a Poison Ivy solo story. It's the one that he felt fit the tone of of the story best. Was he the one who made the choice? The Joker appears earlier in the book as almost like a Cesar Romero-esque at a moment. Was that uh, something in the writing, or was that something he did? I think I would have to check the script again, because it was... I I do remember saying it was a more... I might have asked for for like the the TV version of Bat of the Joker at that point because that was the one I knew. Yeah, I thought that was such a like yeah. wonderful little touch. Uh, really, even with the mustache under yeah. the, under the makeup, <laughs> it was and perfect. Everything. Yeah, because at that age, you know, Cesar Romero was the Joker to me. With, yeah, uh, you know, and uh, what little what little images I had seen here and there in the comics of, of him at that time, but he really was was the guy. So. Um, and that's the image of the characters that sort of changed throughout the years as I, uh, as as they were rendered by other artists and as I worked on them. But I thought the job he did with the Joker was was really wonderful. I love his look at the end where he's kind of wearing I don't know like knickers and knee socks. He looks kind of like a like a schoolboy, and he would be a school, but he'd be like a school bully. You know, I've always seen him as sort of like the ultimate school bully. And I like the the shaved head and the little the but the the green curl mm-hmm. and everything like that. Everything you did with the characters was was just you know terrific. I, I, I thought I thought his vision of them all as scarecrow was 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 awesome and uh, you know, just just terrific. Well, was there anything uh, that you discovered coming out of the book that you didn't expect going into the book? Um. Uh, now that it's all done and it's it's there, yeah, I, I felt like like relief, and I felt like I can put this on the shelf and sort of walk away from it, and never really have to look at it again. Not that I'm not proud of it. Not that it isn't something wonderful to to look at and study and marvel at the pictures. But it's just sort of like when I put it on my bookshelf, I just felt like. And there it stays. Like a sigh. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. express it through art. I yes. Think that's an important thing. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. It, it's it's here, it's done, and it's there, and I'm here. And and, and that, that's kind of how I felt about it. And it's it's not about me anymore. It's about whoever, you know, this book is for whoever wants to pick it up and whatever they get out of it. And even if it's just, you know, 30 minutes of, of, of time waster or, or whatever it's it's yours to do what you know do with as, as you will well it's certainly not 30 minutes of time waster I'll <laughs> say that uh, uh, it's, it's really great and I think yeah go Thank pick you. it up if you're listening to this you will enjoy it yeah uh, I, I have no doubt thank you uh, so thanks thanks for sharing and, and opening up about it it really means a lot oh thank you I mean you know it, it, I kind of him and haw and go back and forth because I there are times I really don't know what to make of it myself. You know, it's sort of like uh, giving birth to a platypus. Did that, did that come out of me? I guess. All right. Well. Uh, from the outside, it's it's really 
incredible. <laughs> so uh, I felt felt lucky to just like get up. And I was like, oh, what a good day! I get to read a piece of art. <laughs> uh, it's not just you know like it, I don't think it is a, a time waster in any way, shape, or form. Um, I think it's 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 one of those that will stick with you. So thank you. Yeah. Uh, all right, guys, buy it. Go do it. <laughs> thank you, Paul. Sure. Well, there you have it, Paul Dini, talking about a book that you should go out and buy right now. Uh, I am not being paid to plug this. I am plugging it because I do think it is a really wonderful piece of art. If you like the show, Batman the Animated Podcast, we'll be back in another couple weeks with a new episode talking about an episode of Batman with the people who made it as well as the fans who love it. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, uh, you can find me at BTAS Podcast or at HeyJustin. Uh, subscribe and iTunes rate give us a good review give us a good comment it really helps and otherwise thanks for listening Batman the Animated Podcast is hosted edited and produced by me Justin Michael Tom Smith created the show logo and Casey Trela helped produce the theme song thank you again to my very special guest Paul Dini and I'll see you guys in a couple more weeks for another Batman the Animated Podcast bye bye